Hi, it's Dan here for Dusty Discs Radio, and this is the podcast Liner Notes, revealing chats with Canada's retro music makers. Today I'm very honoured to have as my special guest, singer, songwriter, safety dancer, Ivan Dorischuk. Uh, we'll be talking music and travels and the business side of music and the life of a career entertainer. We'll get some other insights as well about life inside the Canadian music scene from someone who's been there for many decades. Ivan Dorischuk is best known as one of the founders and the lead singer of the iconic Canadian band Men Without Hats. So thanks for joining me today, Ivan. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Good. Well, thanks for coming on. Uh, we're all, I was excited about this. I thought, well, you know, I've, I've sang your song so many times over the years and uh, I'll tell you about it. But uh, when, when uh, the station said, oh, do you want to talk to Ivan from Men Without Hats? I said, well, yeah, obviously. So uh, I'm curious, you, you came from Montreal, right? You, did you have like some kind of musical background back there? Just regular young guys get into the band, play drums, organ, vocals, whatever? Yeah. Well, my mother was a, uh, a music teacher at McGill University in Montreal. Oh, cool. For 25 years, she taught voice at the yeah. music faculty there. Nice. And uh, so, yeah, we grew up in a, in a sort of a classical musical family. Yeah. My dad was also an amateur musician when he was growing up. He played in bands with his dad. Yeah. Played in barn dances in rural Manitoba. Yeah. And uh, so it was it was a musical family. Yeah. The reason I ask is because you just become acclimatized to that. Right? Like making music becomes the most natural thing in the world, right? You just kind of, that's what yeah, you do. Yeah, well, we grew up... Uh, it was part of our duties. It was like uh, washing the dishes. We had to, we had to do uh, an hour of piano practicing every day. My brother Colin and I and Stefan practiced violin at the same time. So oh, cool. It was, uh, yeah, it was yeah. Uh, a and, labor of love. Yeah, and then it was a magical time too. Like, you know, one of the things about doing the retro stuff is that you look at the 70s and for us, you and I are similar in age. So growing up at that time, I, I played in bands and sang in music lots and it was a really magical time, right? And some young people ask me, well, what was so magical about it? Well, there was a real buzz around the music, right? Yeah, there was, well, it was the sort of, the 70s especially, it was sort of, a lot of musical genres were, were created during that decade. Like there was heavy metal, glam, punk, you know, yeah. new wave, yeah. uh, you know, jazz, free jazz, I mean, all kinds of jazz, uh, electric yeah. jazz came, you know, to the forefront in the early 70s, disco. Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of, lot of musical genres in that, uh, in the 70s. Yeah, along with the down and dirty rock and roll. And then I always think, of, yeah, yeah. you know, I think of Steely Dan because you think of Steely Dan came out, like Can't Buy a Thrill came out in 73. It still, still sounds great today. Yeah, yeah, it does. It does. But it was it was kind of a, you know, the perfect decade. It was started yeah. off with, you know, the birth of heavy metal and it ended with the, the death of heavy metal. So it was, uh, <laughs> it was kind of a, a very interesting uh, yeah. roller coaster ride. Well, one of the things I noticed about you when I just going through your catalog and sort of reading some stuff about you is like you weren't a mainstream guy. You had kind of eclectic taste. So you kind of dipped your toe in sort of all that stuff, like the new wave, the punk, the, like the poetry over the music kind of a thing. So, so what were yeah. you looking well, for? Coming, coming, coming from Montreal, that was kind of the norm. Uh, growing up there, we were a bit different than the rest of North America in our musical tastes. Yeah. You know, bands like Genesis were coming to Montreal and playing the Montreal Forum and then going to New York City and playing the bottom line in front of 300 people, you know. So yeah. it was, uh, we were a bit ahead of the curve as far as a lot of, you know, progressive bands and stuff. Yeah. And I've always said, and, and also Montreal was a big disco city. And I've always said that for, for myself personally, anyway, uh, 
new wave was a blend of disco music and 70s progressive music it was, mm -hmm. for me it was keyboard music progressive keyboard music with a with a disco beat yeah and uh that's so kind of what i brought to the table yeah it was cool and and i guess being different works for you but it can work against you too right like people can go well it's kind of different <laughs> which means yeah. can mean good or bad right yeah well that was kind of the difference between uh, you know being from canada being coming from montreal was very different than coming from toronto all the music industry was in toronto it still is all mm. the english music industry and montreal has its own quebec has its own french speaking music system so the uh the english music that's being made in montreal is the the scene is really small it's mm. it's but it's also made up of expats from all across the country musicians from from all across canada tend to end up in montreal at one point or another in their career and so uh, i've always compared uh, montreal to new york in that sense where new york also the the art scene in new york is made up of people from all over the country right yeah yeah that's kind of kind of montreal's like that and also another di difference is the with the industry being in toronto uh, Montreal was a lot freer to do to test out new styles, while yeah. Toronto was looking for the next spoons or the next parachute club. Yeah. Montreal was Montreal was just knew that there was no big record executive with a wad of cash standing at the back of the room ready to sign them. So they right. just you know in Montreal you you went there to 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 explore to to you know to try new things to to get off the beaten track. Yeah, well, cool. Yeah, and you, you make a good point. I read uh, Miles Goodwin's book, too, and he said, like, they, they gravitated from the East Coast to Montreal. Yeah. So lots of bands kind of went, that was a sort of a hub. But, but I think you're right about the sort of eclectic, artistic sort of flavor and nature of the whole business there, right? Yeah. It's just a little... So, you know, well, I mean, when you, when you look, when you boil it down, it's, you know, the English scene in Montreal is about as big as the, the scene in Hamilton, you know? It's yeah, right. Like, like, seriously, there's not that many more people in it, you know? It's yeah. just... Huh. It's just they're from, there's a lot of talent in that little small group though. Yeah, very good. And so for you, did you have a real purpose or a destiny or was it more casual? Like like some bands, you talk to them, oh, this is our focus. We we're going to do this and this and this. Um, what about you? Did you just kind of feel around in the ether there and see what you could find? Yeah, it was, we were, the band kind of started in, at university, you know, in a the classic art school uh, setting. Yeah. And, uh. You know, we, we were, a bunch of us were all in the film and communications uh, department at McGill University. Yeah. And at the end of the 1970, end of the 70s. And so everything, it was, it was a big artistic movement back then. It wasn't, it wasn't just a music movement. It was, there was, there was things happening in video and in technology and clothing and hairdos. Yeah. And, you know, everything, everything was sort of a, a reaction to, to this sort of, monolith that had you know sort of entertainment had become and uh so it was good it was every you know everywhere you looked there was there was somebody doing something new there was either you know doing some new kind of painting or new kind of theater or new kind of videos mm. it was it was just like there was people being creative all over the place so it was a, it was pretty exciting times and it wasn't you know you didn't have to look too far. Yeah, and that's that's the idea. That if you're going to expand the art, you got to have a free environment where people can can sort of stretch the boundaries and stuff. But you guys ended up getting a record deal, right? So you must have made some connection. Like, how, how did you get your first real interest? I, I guess it was from the UK. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. We sort of uh, well, we started touring. We basically we we went into 
we went into the studio, recorded four songs and put it out ourselves, you know, pressed our own yeah. 10 inch record and just had a manager. We just started shopping it around and we just started, we, we hit the road and started going up and down the Eastern coast of the United States and venturing a bit into Toronto and the Ontario kind of basin there. And uh, just, you know, things, one thing led to another mm -hmm. and we, we picked up a deal in, in England with Static Records. They distributed us in Canada. We were being sold in Canada as an import hmm. wow. at the beginning, before, yeah. you know, so it was, uh, it was kind of weird, but it was okay. So, but you spent time in the deal. trenches, like you went out and, and mixed it up and did your thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. That, that was, that was just part of it. You know, that was, that was the whole DIY thing. It was when people sort of, you know, bands, clubs started booking new kinds of bands and yeah. there was just all of a sudden there was this opportunity to, to, to go out there and do it. Yeah. And we did. Well, the reason I'm curious about that is because, you know, some, some bands, as you know, are studio creations, right? You get a bunch of studio cats together and you kind of put the band together and you create a song. And as long as you got radio play, then you, you got to put a band together and go out and show it. But the way you did it in a lot of bands, they, they do it the other way. You go and grind it out. You play the clubs, you find what works, you find what doesn't work. And, you know, you, you pay your dues, I guess is, is how you say it. Right? Yeah. Also being part of a movement was made it, made it kind of, you know, I'm not saying it made it easier, but it was, there was definitely, there was definitely some, you know, some forward motion going on in, you know, in the arts anyway. So it was like, we were, we were sort of just jumping aboard a, a train that was already in motion. Yeah. And, uh, so, but it was, you know, it was definitely, uh, like I say, exciting times yeah, time to was, be uh, a young musician. Absolutely. I had some experience on the West coast of that and growing up in that time and playing music and just feeling really blessed to be at that time because it's history, right? I mean, it, that, yeah. that's never going to come again that time. Yeah. Yeah. We were there. <laughs> yeah. Which is, so one thing I noticed when I looked at your, uh, at your dossier, there's that the amount of members that you've had in it, I think that you've listed like 20, <laughs> 25 members or something. I think I counted. So is that just yeah. a revolving door? What, what's the deal with that? Yeah. Well, you know, I write all the stuff, so yeah. it's like, it's always been a, you know, a question of just who I'm hanging out with at the, at the time who's there to go in the studio with me and do it. You know, yeah. it's, it was basically that it was, okay. I've always, I've always been the only, the, the, the single songwriter in the band. So okay. I'm the only, I'm the longest lasting member also. So yeah. Well, uh, I mean, people come and go, like I've seen lots of, talked to lots of guys with bands back then, and there was a lot of musical chairs going on and people, they're interested yeah. for a while, then they go and then, you know, so I just, with yours, it, yeah, was, well, it was a lot. <laughs> so. Well, the thing happens in, in, in the, you know, thing I was lucky is I, I attracted a lot of, a lot of uh, talented people who eventually started their own bands, like yeah. Tracy Howe with Rational Youth, like, yeah. like Jean-Marc Pizapia with The Box, like, you yeah. know, a lot of people came through and then just went on and did their own thing. And it yep. was, you know, so that's, that's, looks good on me. So I'm, I'm happy for them. Yeah, no, that's very cool. And it, I was interested too. Tell me about playing with your brothers. Like I, I played with my younger brother for a number of years, but I kind of had older brother syndrome, I think, when I look back on it, you know, and I, I, I wondered about that because you played with your two brothers. Was, was that cool? Was it good? Oh yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's definitely fun memories, you know, and I'm still working with one of them right now with Colin yeah. and I'm still Colin and I produced the last record, the last two records. So, uh, you know, we're still, we're still in touch. We're all, all, yeah. all three of us are still working. 
Oh, good. Doing well, our thing. I'm glad to hear that because when you hear, you know, stories like the Everly Brothers or or the the Gallagher Brothers, you know, from from Oasis yeah. and stuff, like there's a lot of and, and me and my brother, I mean, we got along, but you know, again, I was the older brother, so I kind of was more aggressive, I guess. And looking back, yeah. I just wish that I had handled it maybe a bit differently. Oh, don't don't get me wrong. Being in a business with your with any kind of family member is is a tough sell. So uh, it's it's hard. Yeah. But you guys are Regardless. still still working together and still getting yeah. along. So good for you. And, yeah. and you were the older brother, right? So I am. Yeah. I so am. you you know what I'm talking about. You got to kind of. Yeah. Well, the the hard part is is that you you've got to kind of direct. You need a director, and you need somebody with that intensity and with that sort of drive that's going to make things happen. But then along right. with that, the downside of that is you can be overbearing i suppose or, or even bossy at times and with you especially because your your face is right there like you're the one that's that everyone would identify with right yep that's that's part of the game yeah well it's so then uh it's it's funny with the safety dance so that came out in 82 right was that 1980? right okay and i mean that, in that's Canada, in Asia. yeah so that that's you're identified with that song instantly which is the you know that song is the kind of song every band wants and almost no no band ever gets right yeah that defining tune and i'm yeah and i i feel i've got two of them because pop goes the yeah, world absolutely almost as yeah. well in them you know across the board so yeah i'm i'm definitely twice blessed yeah. i've i talk about this all the time because i'm a big music fan myself i got into this music also you know because i was i had the tools and but also because i was a huge fan of music i just you know yeah made it easy for me i knew i knew what i was getting into you know yeah so but I've always said that, you know, especially now with with the internet, I, I go back and I sort of digitally create dig and all these bands that I sort of, you know, grew up or missed, you know, when I, in the 70s or whatever. And there are just like so many bands out there that didn't get heard and so many people put their lives and everything they had and all their dreams into the, this music that nobody ever, you know. Yeah. They just went completely unnoticed and, and, and just, you know, it's just that a lot of it just breaks my heart. You know, it's like my brother Colin says to me, he says, your whole record collection is as many records as you have. That's as many reasons there are not to make, not to make an album, you know? <laughs> well, yeah, you make, so, a, you make a good point because there's lots of great music that nobody will ever hear or, or almost nobody will ever Exactly. Hear. You know, it's so it, it's, and, and just being a musician myself and having gone through it a few times, I know what it takes, you know, what it takes out of you yeah. to make a record, you know, like, and how much you have to invest and how much, you know, how many, how much sacrifice you have to make too. That's what a lot of people don't realize too. They think they see the, the, they see the, the, the high end stuff that, you know, that makes it look good, but there's a lot of sacrifice that goes on in this business. A lot of people give a lot, give a lot and don't get a lot back. So <laughs> it's, yeah. um, you know, it, it's hard. It's hard. Yeah, I've made that point to a number of people I've talked to, but when I when I see somebody up on a big stage, I generally ask myself, I wonder what price they paid for standing there. Because oh, yeah, everybody nothing is paid. free. Oh. Nothing is free, and, uh, and that's it, you know. it's like. Yeah. Uh, so th that song, the thing about that song for you, though, is it broke the Canadian, like I've talked to lots of sort of mid-level Canadian bands who went back and forth across Canada countless times and, and just weren't able to break out of the, the Canadian sort of bubble, right? And for you, you know, because I often ask bands, well, how did you do in the States? Did you tour anywhere else? And for you, you were able to break that. And, and that's a huge 
any Canadian band knows that, right? I mean, that's a huge thing to be yeah. able to do. To have a, a song on Billboard and stuff is just everybody's dream, right? Yeah. No, I still, I mean, I'm still benefiting from it. We just spent the last 10 plus years touring the States and touring the world, basically. I've been to been to places in the last 10 years that I never went the first time around. Oh, wow. Australia and South Africa, Scandinavia, Peru. Yeah. I mean, we've been oh, to cool. tons, tons. We've been to like all over the place and just, like yeah. I say, places we, we didn't visit the first time. The, the first time around, we were concentrating. We were like Elvis. We were just concentrating on the States. And, yeah. Uh, we didn't even make it to Europe the first time around. Wow, that's right. Somebody so, said uh, that Elvis never played outside of the United States. He went to Hawaii and that was it, right? Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Colonel Tom had a warrant, like he had a criminal record and he couldn't leave the country. Oh, okay. That explains it. And he didn't want Elvis wandering around on his own. <laughs> there you go. Well, so cool. So you, you got to go to lots of different places. And of course, I would imagine they know the safety dance, right? That you got them to, to do their yeah, thing. Yeah, that's 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 one of the you know most fortunate things is that sometimes i feel like i've said this before too i feel like a like a museum curator like in a yeah. traveling museum <laughs> going around presenting an presenting an artifact a cultural yeah. artifact to people and 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 i i mean i you know people ask me all the time do i ever get sick of it and i tell you i do not because the, the just the reaction people you know the smile that i bring on people's faces and on, on their faces and their kids and sometimes their grandkids um it's it's amazing. It's the fuel that keeps me going. Well, there's a few things about the safety dads that I wanted to share with you because one thing that I that struck me is that it, it crossed boundaries too. Like even even people who weren't into new wave, they still know what safety dance is, right? Oh yeah. So, so you're able yeah. to cross genres there. Yeah, I think uh, one. I think the video had a lot to do with that because when the song came out, everybody was waiting for the video, and every I think a lot of people were expecting sort of a more like a more new wave kind of video, more of a sort of spiked hair and zipper clothes and pointy shoes and, and sort of yeah, classic and new classic new wave type of thing. And to sort of show up with a Pied Piper kind of medieval thing yeah. with with a guy with like super long hair, look because he stepped right out of the 60s. And, yeah. and it, it, I think it threw people for a loop and it, and it, like, it, it, that's what makes it timeless now. I mean, you watch the video now, it doesn't really, you, you know, you know, it's an eighties video cause you know the song, but I mean, it doesn't really, hasn't really aged. I mean, it, it kind of stands up, you know, it doesn't really, it doesn't really look funny. Like all those, a lot of eighties videos kind of, you chuckle as you watch them, but you know, yeah, that's yeah. Uh, yeah. Looking back, that's, that's a good, that's a good point too, because that song you would expect to be in a dance club with a bunch of sort of robot dancers or whatever. Like, kind of, yeah. you know, that kind of, that was the whole story behind the thing, you know, like, yeah. that I got kicked, kicked, wrote the song because I got kicked out of a, out of a discotheque yeah. for pogoing, you know, it's like, <laughs> that's, uh, you know, so yeah, people were expecting that. And, um, and so I think a lot of people realized that, Hey, there's, you don't have to, there's no uniform yeah. to like this song, you know, you don't have to have a special hairdo to like this song. You don't really have to, you don't even have to know the special dance. I mean, there's only yeah. kind of, you, have, you just have to make this S with your hands and it looks like you're in, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, it was, so, so it's a medieval theme Then you had the midget and you got the whole cast of characters there and, and it sort of looked yeah. at, I looked at it and I thought, well, they must've spent some money on that because you got the location, you got all the people and the extras and stuff. That was a sort of medium yeah. to high level, high budge video, right? Flew there and back on Concord. Yeah, where was it filmed? It was filmed just outside of Bath. Oh, okay. In, in West Kington, in uh, in Wiltshire, in England. Oh, neat. 
Okay. And then you must have had a director like that because I always talk to people about videos and back then it was a lot of money. Like somebody had to write a big was, check yeah. to make that happen, right? Yeah, that was a big production. It was a like a two day production, two day yeah. shoot, and yeah, it was in the middle of, middle of the country. It was you know there was a you know twenty five person crew, like you know, hotels and yeah, yeah, gear and everything, man. So yeah, it was a well, it was a big production. I'm sure and we'd never done it before. I'd never done a video before. Oh, that was your first one. It was my first big one. I had done one little one that it, that yeah. had not come out had had was so bad that it hadn't been released. Yeah, and. Um, so this was the first kind of big one that we did that, you know, the song had already been like on, you know, it was, had already hit number one on Cashbox. So we were, yeah, we were due for this song, See, but it was, um, yeah. And there's another good example because some, some bands, they sort of creep their way into the music business and they try to get some modest success and then it grows and builds from there. And other bands, you're able to kick the front door in basically and say, okay, we're here. And when you got a video on MTV and you're climbing the charts and you're at the top, I mean, that's kicking the door in basically, right? Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like, um, well, we kind of like, for us, it was kind of like kicking the door, then going away and the door falling down, like <laughs> when we were doing something else. Yeah. But uh, because we were in the studio already making our follow up record when, you know, they asked us to make, we were, in, we were, we were recording the second album and the record label says, oh, okay, not only, okay, we want you to make a, this 12 inch thing now. There's a new thing. Everybody's making remixes. They're making mm. 12 inches. So could you please do a remix? And so we said, okay, and we made it. So we made this remix, and then we went back to recording our new record. And we were, we were stoked because we had gotten enough success off our first one already to get the record label to put us in studio for a second one. So mm. like we were, you know, we had made it in yeah. our minds. You know, we were, we were happening. Yeah. And so then we send this twelve-inch mix off. We don't think anything of it, and then the next thing we know, it goes number one and everybody we don't even have a record deal in the states at that point mm. and every major label in the states is banging on our door trying to sign us so we you know we pick one and they put the record out in the states and put us on the road and we're on the road for the next two years going going crisscrossing go. the united states yeah shows you know? see that's the thing that's what happens overnight right like one day nobody knows who men without hats is and then the next day it's like yeah. the phone's ringing off the hook. And I mean, that, yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> that must be kind of overwhelming a, a bit, eh? It, it can be, you know, because, uh, I mean, there was a lot of new things happening too, like the video, like all these things were new too. So not only to be, to be on the ball enough to do them, to get these things done, but to make everything, all the stars line up so that they all hit, you know, they all hit yeah. the strike at the same time. You right. know, it's, it, 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 you need a lot of things to line up and uh i mean that's that's the thing about this business there's so many pieces yeah there's so many pieces that you have to get right that a lot of times a lot of things a lot of a lot of good music doesn't get heard too because just just because the the parts don't line up the stars don't line up yeah and i've i've had some friends that they just don't want the pressure of it i mean once there's a team of people their job is to get up every morning and make men without hats more than they were yesterday and you're part of that yeah. process and there's a lot of pressure that goes along with that and i have some friends that just didn't like that part of it yeah yeah well it's kind of you don't really know you know everybody want when you start a band you know you, it's cool and everybody's having fun and yeah you're young and you can afford it and but you know as as you go along it the reality of life sets in and you're either making it or you're not and so you have to make you have to make decisions at one point it's like anything else you know it's it's like any other career you just have to be realistic about it yeah 
Yeah, and then you have to want it too, right? Because a lot of guys quit because they don't yeah. want the they don't want to deal with the BS. I said, well, the BS is part of the business. If you can't deal yeah. with that, you got to find another business. Then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, but and also, I mean, be, being famous is you know like everybody everybody wants it and dreams of it and everything like that, but to actually have it happen sometimes is not you know it's like like we were talking about before, like how much did it cost, you know? Yeah, and yeah. Um, and that's like you know it's like sometimes that's just part of the job is like it's like being a teacher you know getting getting your teaching degree and then realizing when you get into the classroom that you hate kids you know, so <laughs> yeah there you go <laughs> that's happened <laughs> oh that that's happens right. a lot believe me so i come from a family of teachers and yeah. i've heard some stories yeah no, i can <laughs> i could see that so the other thing the other few things about the safety dance that that i have to say is that um one of them was that like for myself, I don't dance, right? Like I'm, I'm, I'm just like, my dance is the nervous white guy, right? That's what I look like when I dance, but I can dance to the safety dance because it's a very, I don't know if you planned it that way, but it's a very easy song to dance to for people who aren't inclined towards dancing. So that's something that. Yeah. Well, it must be because it's, it's, it's 10 beats slower than, than your normal dance song. And also that's, that's one of the, that's one of the things I kind of realized after we, when we just wrote it, it just, you know, we probably just wrote it at the speed that the, the drum box was on when we turned it on that day, you know? So, yeah. Well, it's a hunt. It's at a hundred. Like I, I checked it because, yeah. um, you know, the song staying alive, right? They do that with yeah. the, with the, um, have you ever seen the the video they do with, um, CPR training? Cause they use staying alive cause it's the right beats per minute to do right, right, heart yes, yeah, compression. Yeah. Right. And then I thought, well, safety dance is basically the same too. You, mm-hmm. you could use it for a CPR commercial. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so because i thought that was it so it's it's a hundred it's a hundred beats yeah. per minute i think right yeah yeah so it's a bit you know it's that's slower than your than, than your average than your average dance song so yeah yeah well and, and then the iconic line the, the so so i have a show band and we had a singer and she really liked safety dance so she would insert that line we never played the song but she would insert that line in every you know anytime she wanted to so yeah. we would you could go everybody's working for the weekend you can dance if you want to <laughs> <laughs> I kept hearing this. And it, we are family. Yeah. We are family. You can dance if you want. <laughs> I kept yeah. hearing it. <laughs> I kept looking at her, going, "What? What are you doing?" <laughs> but she would insert that, and in any breakdown in any song, it seems to fit. I don't know what it is. Like it's it's seven syllables, and it fits almost everywhere. So so she would in like a Rick Roll on yeah. on Facebook. She would ins- in on YouTube. She would insert that line in a bunch of songs. That's over great. there, <laughs> it was too funny. <laughs> so. And then um, I was going to ask you about the Weird Al version. Like, did he ask your permission to do? I mean, you must have loved that, right? You must have thought uh, that we were totally, totally honored. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the. I mean, you know, a lot of people have told me, you know, you've made it when Weird Al does one of your songs. You yeah, know? so it's definitely that's. I mean, what can you say? Well, because people think, well, they don't want someone else doing their song. Most songwriters I know are thrilled when someone else oh, is special. Absolutely thrilled. We were thrilled and honored, and just like yeah. we still still groove on it. Oh yeah. So did he reach out to you, or did they ask you about it? No, he just he just went to, straight to the publishing company and, and, yeah. and got it. And, yeah, and no harm, no foul there. Nobody was going to complain about that, right? Not at all. Not no, at that all. was great. Well, listen, let me take a quick break and we'll come right back and carry on with our conversation. Sound okay? Yeah, sure. All right. We're talking to Ivan from Men Without Hats and we'll be right back. You can hear music from today's guests and other Canadian musicians from the 60s to 80s every Tuesday and Thursday on Dusty Discs Radio, including one-hit wonders, regional favorites, songs from the top and bottom of the charts, TV show theme songs, commercials, and a news clip or two from back in the day. 
Listen online at DustyDiscsRadio.com or download the TuneIn Radio app to your tablet or smartphone. Search Dusty Discs Radio and mark it a favorite. Now let's get back to our special guest. All right, we're back. We're talking to Ivan from Men Without Hats, having a great conversation about how the band formed and, of course, the, the great success he had right out of the shoot. And then I guess, you know, I, I didn't ask you a lot about the record deals and stuff, but, I mean, we know we all know how record companies work. As soon as you have some success, they're just like, okay, what else you got? You know, what's, what's your next... Uh, how did you deal with that part of it? Well, as every young creative artist, I dealt with it very poorly probably at the time. Yeah. And uh, because that's, you know, that's what they do. And they want, they got, they had safety dance. They wanted the return of safety dance, the son of safety dance, yeah. beneath beneath safety dance, <laughs> escape from safety dance. Yeah. They wanted the whole, they wanted the whole, you know, the whole enterprise. Yeah. And uh, we, I just, just wasn't prepared at that point to give it to them now uh, you know i realize now that okay, that's you know just part of youth it's part of being young being creative and you know i remember i mean i know a lot of other artists are like this too but i remember being getting mad at my audience for yelling for like people yelling for living in china and i was like you know that's an old song you know yeah. it's like like you got to hear my new stuff man my new stuff is there's so much better like like forget about the old stuff you know like yeah and and you know it's like i only had two records out you know it's like i'm already not playing the first one and, yeah and so you know that that's i mean all artists go through that kind of thing that's what being an artist is all about it's about it's about making art it's not really about selling it you know yeah. so well I that's think, uh, yeah, that's the rub, right? I mean, well, it's funny because my, uh, I know Jerry Doucette fairly well in, in the past. And he said, like, every time he played, people would start yelling, Mama, let him play before he even played a song. And then in between yeah. every song, they would be yelling, Mama, let him play. And he's like, I'll play. I'm going to play it. Like, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I know that feeling. Well, we, what we started doing, and I learned this from, uh, I learned this from a, from Wang Chung, actually, that yeah. stole this idea off them. But we, uh, we open with safety dance at okay. our show. You know, and yeah. we open, we open, we have, we have two versions. We open with the short for, with the 45 version, with the two minute version, yeah. we open with that one. And we finish the show with the long version. Okay. And, uh, so, you know, get it out of the way fast. And that's what, and like, I, I went, uh, you know, we were playing with Wang Chung one day and they, we played and then they got on and they opened up with like, I forget what it was, either dance hall days or everybody Wang Chung. I think yeah. they opened up with everybody Wang Chung tonight, you know? Yeah. And I was like wow that's like they open up with their most famous song. wow that's pretty cool you know that's pretty yeah. bold you know and then i thought about it i said you know what i'm gonna do the same thing people like you know like yelling for safety dance all the way through the show yeah i'll just give it to them right off the bat yeah and you know and play it at the end for the guys who weren't there at the beginning guys who got here you know that's what i say you know here's here's for those of you who got here late <laughs> but it's it's a smart idea because then you know you're, you're kind of giving you're not making them wait you know, however long the set yeah. is for yeah. the song they want to hear, right? Exactly, exactly. You know, it's like, and I, and I know I've been to shows where I'm waiting for the song too, you know, and so it's yeah. like, <laughs> yeah, I know how it is. Yeah. I, I was, you know, I was a fan myself. Yeah, no, that's, that, that's a good point. Well, that's, a, that's a cool thing. And you get, to, you get to tour with some of these other guys too. Now you've packaged up some, uh, some bands. Oh um, man, I got to meet, I got to meet and tour and share stages with, with all my favorite bands. Like, I got into this, I was a huge, hum, like a human league fan and 
that was our first tour we did 10 years ago when we started the band oh, back cool. up. Yeah. yeah, we toured toured America with with Human League and B52s on some nice on some guest guest shows and yeah. and you know that was just just things like that and just like all these 80 shows we we toured with Howard Jones lots yeah. of times toured with just just yeah. tons of bands that, that I I grew up loving you know? and so Yeah, that's a neat uh, experience. Well, yeah, very cool. Well, that's so that's what I was going to ask you when we were talking about songwriting and stuff and songs with safety dance. Like, like you're creative and you're eclectic and you're kind of pulling things from everywhere and you're a poet and you're, a, you know, just this sort of troubadour and you're just doing your thing. And then you get a record that sells and then the record company wants to cut it, pack it, freeze it and sell it. Right. And they're mm -hmm. like, okay, we like that song. We want five more songs just like that one. And that goes completely against what got you there in the first place. Right. Yeah, so, but they know that behind me there's a lot of guys like me standing waiting for their turn. So that gives them like a huge, huge bargaining power in their favor. They have huge leverage. Yeah. So if you don't do what they want, they don't really care because they just switch the name and bring yeah. up the next guy and just keep keep the ball rolling. You know, it's 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 pretty simple. Yeah, I guess you are you are a commodity in some sense, like like the professional athletes, right? You know, you score goals yeah. for me, and and you can be on the team. If you don't, then have a nice day. That's exactly it. You know? Yeah. So, but I mean, still an exciting time for you, young guys. And and then you followed up. You had a bunch of much music appearances, and and MTV got lots of play. You did the song I like mm -hmm. was and uh, so that was. Um, the similar sort of theme, but you did that in a theater, but, uh, you know, you've got the audiences full of characters. It's sort of like a freaker's ball kind of a thing. Is that, was that something that you sort of drove? Did you like that? Yeah. Kind of genre? Yeah. That was our kind of idea. That was sort of the, it was sort of the, the other side of the, of the, the idyllic safety dance, you know, yeah. it was, it was the, the, the real side of the reality side of the coin. So, yeah. uh, that's kind of yeah. That's yeah, cool. I just uh, thought like with all the the characters, you got the midget, of course, I guess, or the the dwarf. However, you would. Uh, I had a good friend that was a, he was a dwarf, and he he because he had a regular size head, so he told me the difference between a midget okay. and a dwarf. <laughs> so I, I'm always careful when I use that term, those terms, because yeah, yeah. I don't want to be disparaging to anybody. And then you had the female singer, but you, no band. Like those videos back then, you just it was you, and some and a cast of characters, but not the yeah. band. Yeah, well, the band was kind of invented. We had the the band members were are kind of in the background playing lutes and okay. harpsichords and stuff like that. Yeah, and and, uh, and the, they were okay the, with that. The band was okay with that. Kind of, yeah, yes and no. It was always, you know, it depends how how it, it was mostly the record company doing that at the anyway. It was sort of you know, the record company was trying to make me into the focal point. So right. That was, that was what they were doing. But yeah, cause I did think about that when I saw that, I thought, well, there's a lot of people involved musically here, but you're the one that's the focal point. And then you've got the cast of characters and then you got the two main, I guess the, the dwarf and the, and the female. And I wondered mm. what the rest of the band sort of thought of that, or if they had any say in that. It wasn't really a big, a big, big thing back then. It was yeah. sort of, everybody was kind of just excited to be, you know, in a video. They didn't really care. Yeah. Nobody really knew what was going on anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is kind of going like going down a speed tunnel, right? With all this stuff going on. Yeah, yeah. you know, it was, it was, everything was brand new back then. You know, yeah. they, they say, stand here, do that. Okay. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Go sit there and wait there for like three hours and we'll call you, you know, yeah. for the next shot. 
But then on the other side of it, like I did notice in a lot of your stuff going through your catalog, you know, there is some social commentary, you know, and, and, and there is an element of the band that, that has that. Like, you know, some bands are party bands or some bands don't have any theme at all. They just write songs that they think people will like. And other bands like to sneak a little message in there. And I sort of sense that with you. Yeah, well, that's we. That was always our thing. The the Men Without Hats was always. I always thought that the uh, the pop charts were a very formidable political platform. Yeah. And uh, back then, I was okay using that platform to be a vehicle for my ideas, for my for my beliefs. Yeah. I'm a bit sort of took a bit of a step back since then, but. Uh, I believe more in entertainment now, but that's because I'm, you know, I'm twice as old and I'm yeah. just on a different path, on a different, a different part of the path. And yeah. so, but back then it was about delivering a message and, and the message was, you know, societal commentary and, and now, like I say, now, now I'm still delivering a message, but the messages have fun. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, it's, you want to take that platform and sort of make the world a better place. I've often said, you know, music make it in itself makes the world a better place. And if there's a message, you know, it could be a subtle message. I've been at a couple of concerts where they stopped the concert and gave a big political speech and stuff. And it really turned me off. Like regardless of your yeah. political bent, I don't need to hear that from my entertainers. Yeah. Yeah. Just, but the thing is, especially today where the, where the country, I mean, the world is so divided yes. that, you know, it's like, I always refer to, I always kind of quote Michael Jordan when some reporter asked him a few years ago why he wasn't out there shilling for the Democrats. And he said, because Republicans buy running shoes also. Yeah. And it's kind of basically, that's it. You know, it's like, that's, well, and, and that's with kind the, of how I feel, you know, like, like I, 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 you know, I have my ideas, but they're my, you know, I, yeah. hopefully my, my ideas get through in my music and I can, you know, the main themes of what I believe are out there in my music and yeah. I don't really have to sort of comment on the, on the details. Yeah. Okay. I appreciate that. I, I think there's a lot of things. One thing I don't like about the polarization we see now is that there's lots of things we all agree on, you know, animal rights and human rights and being yeah, a good person yeah. and like, the, oh, yeah. you know, I've sat and listed with people. If, if I have a disagreement about one particular thing, I say, well, there's a hundred other things that we agree about and, and music can bring that all together. Have fun, yeah. be respectful, make the world a better place and carry on. Yeah. Well, there's a, there's a, an old tactic that's being used, uh, you know, it's been used for, for millennia and uh, it's called divide and conquer. Mm -hmm. and, I mean, it's, it's a simple plan, but it still seems to work. Yes. Uh, very good point. So, yeah, I just wanted to ask you about that. Cause I, I definitely, there was a social message, a social message in, in some of the songs that came through, but it was subtle, but it was also, mm -hmm. uh, it, it was cool. And it then, wasn't so subtle in pop goes the world. I mean, that was like, well, I, I, that was my whole thing, you know? Yeah. That was the, the whole point of Pop Goes the World was was that whole, the, the message was if you don't stop raping Mother Earth, she's going to blow up. And it was, you know, these are th these are themes that are still going on now. Like I was, you know, yeah. when I made that record, it was, at the, you know, sort of the beginning of the ecol you know, ecology movement or not really, yeah. but it was the, the green movement was getting, gathering <clears throat> steam and second wave, second wave uh, feminism was gathering steam. and. Yeah. And so these were all topics that, you know, we were talking about even songs like Hey Men off the 21st century record. And, yeah. 
there was there was you know still yeah. there was the the, the the commentary was getting more overt actually yeah. so I mean I'm sort of yeah I never sideways came along I never found anything uh, you know offensive about that I thought it was a, overall it's a good message and the song was cool and it was uh, so yeah, yeah. it was good yeah and and that was your so that's your second biggest song that you've had and that went real worldwide as well right yeah oh yeah that's yeah. Uh, that does that does really well it's uh, yeah gets used in a lot of a lot of uh interesting ways like in in it's a big chant in in the soccer world and uh, oh cool and yeah. yeah so so it's uh it's like one of those uh we will rock you in yeah. down in in south america yeah so, it's, it's so, cool. so then making sense of the video it's another concept video obviously you had a decent budget for it. you get a nice set you get the map of the world you get the baby playing the keyboards i love that <laughs> that's yeah. great and then the elvis character so uh what was that just more of this you just wanted something that was just a little different so, yeah yeah we were just sort of sort of just playing on the traditional rock band kind of thing and uh I, it was kind of a reaction of the of having been made sort of had a had a record label try to make me into some kind of pop star idol kind of thing and this pop goes the world was kind of a reaction to that too so i i invented these two characters johnny and jenny were kind of extensions of myself which but yeah. i was using them as foils and they were sort of there to deflect the sort of the attention away from myself yeah and uh, that was that was all it was and just bringing in the you know the the, the bonhomme the snowman and yeah. all you know different characters and <laughs> it's a concept we wanted to, we were we were doing live too so it was, yeah right it was, that's cool. Uh, no, that's cool. And then, and then Moonbeam, I noticed is similar to Pop. Was that the same uh, video shoot, or did you did you do two? No, we went back and did it. We did two shoots. We okay. used the same. We did all all our videos have we've used the same director. Okay. They were, they were all done by the same guy. So yeah, because it was very the set the set looked somewhat similar. You got the baby playing yeah. keys again and stuff, and, and yeah, and that was cool. And you got lots of much music play on those as well, right? Tons, tons. Yeah. No, the 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 music video side was. We've always had good help from from both Much Music and from MTV and all the the platforms. It's been it was always really really solid. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, well, it, you had no problem with exposure. Everybody knew the band and and the songs and stuff. It was super cool that way. And then I, I have to ask you about the shift. You mentioned Hey Man and in, in uh, and that was eighty nine, I guess twenty first century, right? And yeah. and then you you switched like it was an obvious kind of retooling the band and more traditional rock sound. You get the drums, the Marshall amps. You're actually playing instruments on stage. So Sideways was even more that way. Yeah, yeah. We just uh, Sideways grew out of a just out of a, a jam session that we we'd have these jam sessions at the when the bars closed in Montreal all the, and we'd be hanging out and when the bars would close we'd end up in our rehearsal space me and a bunch of other musicians and we'd jam until the sun went up and oh. and uh after a few months of doing this we started I started writing a lot of songs I started having a bunch of songs like just brand new songs that we were we were sort of jamming on and that's what turned into the sideways project and it just happened to be Michelle away from the drummer from Voivod was, was one of the guys, John Kasner from the Doughboys was another one of the guys. Mm. Just, there's all these, you know, just a bunch of the music, local musicians. So it just, that just, it just turned into the sideways project and we, we got the record label to, 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 to back it. And yeah. Well, yeah, they didn't I was, really know what was going on, but they they went uh, they went along with it. Well, I was curious about that because you know what got you in was being a new wave band, 
and then you, you you made a conscious decision obviously at that point to be more of a traditional sort of band you got some guitar solos and and chunky rock guitar in there and stuff how did your normal how did your other audience like that or accept that uh they weren't too crazy about it a lot of people we didn't you know like a lot of people thought it was cool but a lot of as as many people thought it wasn't you mm. know it wasn't their cup of tea so you know but for people who really knew the band i mean they I, I think they realized it was kind of just a logical step and they were just waiting for the next album to see which way we'd go then well that's kind of what i thought it's the evolution of a band you did what yeah. you did if you're going to be creative you're going to you're going to stretch the boundaries and and especially if you're jamming with players and then you're saying well why don't we take this on stage and, and yeah. it's pretty cool you know and it is the drummer's good and it's it's cool yeah we took it across the country we had fun we had a great summer it was it was totally yeah. fun yeah no that's cool so so then right around that time so just a bit later than that i guess record deals come and go right and money for production and promotion and touring and videos and stuff and the the band went through some some other personnel and stuff and then you disbanded for a bit is that right yeah yeah we we just took some time off i i left montreal i moved to this coast and uh we had a son and i was a stay-at-home dad for for about 10 years so this would have been mid 90s uh no in the, in the 90s i we basically i did a solo record in 96 right. i did the I did see that yeah. uh, the spell i did the spell by myself and uh then in the 2000s i i, I became a stay-at-home dad like in the, okay. about, yeah around 2000 i became a stay-at-home dad yeah and took uh, you know 2000 to 2010 off and um and got back in like 2010 and then we've been on the road since 2010. Yeah. oh good and you're enjoying that love it yeah I, good i absolutely love it well i'm glad you did you know like life is short and and if you have some sa success some modicum of success you had more than that i mean why not go out and and milk it and do what you can and have some fun right i mean this is the well, that's it years. that's what happened you know like i mean i would only be doing this if the demand was there there's nothing you know there's no way that we could go out and tour if there was no demand no yeah. demand and i'm just one of the lucky guys you know i'm just here again i'm blessed that that people remember it and yeah and want to still want to hear it and that i'm in good enough shape that i can go out and still do it and, yeah and it's great well good for you well i'm a i'm a fan and 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 like i said safety dance is the the ultimate earworm it's just something that everybody knows and you just can't get it out of your head it's just one of those That's great things that just like i said with it hearing it in the middle of any song <laughs> it's pretty funny but it's good yeah um and then uh, so clear something up for me too you have uh, safetydance.com which is the official website and you have menwithouthats.com what's, what's the deal with that no, safetydance.com is the is the the official site now. Yeah. Menwithouthats.com was just an old an old page that we had up before. Oh, I got you. Okay, cuz I I found both of them and I went through both of them, but the safetydance.com has lots of good stuff on it and it says Yeah, that's that that's 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 the the actual one. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's okay. Cool. So when you were uh did you like touring? Like when you when you toured back in the day, did you get caught up in the rock star lifestyle? Did you were you strutting? Uh, it was a lot of fun. It yeah. was, you know, it was, like I said, it was, there was just things happening all over the place, but you know, then again, it's, it, it, there's fun, but there was, there was a lot of pressure. It's yeah. like it being in a band in a young, in a young band at that level is, is like being on a sports team. You know, there's, yeah. there's competition for the top spots. There's competition for the top venues. There's competition for, you know fan numbers yeah. there's there's it's, it's a competition yeah. it's like and and you know 
people, you know, there's everybody likes camaraderie and like, you know, likes, likes to have friends, but you know, it's like, yeah. these are, you know, you're out to beat people. You're out to, you're out to, to be number one. So it's like, it's, it's like a sports, it's like a sports event. Yes, I guess. But the, it's disanalogous in the sense that the sports guys have people keeping them parameters in, right? Like if you're on a sports team, like a professional sports team, you, you have a very strict code of conduct in your contract and stuff. Musicians tend to just go off the rails. And I, I know one particular band yeah. where, where the guy was so strung out they had to hire somebody just to babysit him basically and just follow yeah. him around hr like, yeah <laughs> so, <laughs> so i think that's the difference you know so i have often asked people you know did you did you sort of get caught up in the in the rock and roll lifestyle and get too full of yourself and and be strong oh, you know and, well i must admit i have thrown a tv out of a hotel oh, have you <laughs> See? So <laughs> guilty as charged. That's, that's funny. <laughs> what possessed you to do that? You just had to say, "I made it." This is my. This, this is what exactly, <laughs> exactly. It was, it. it was some flea bag hotel in New York. Yeah, one of the first times we went down there. Yeah, I'm a rock star. This TV's yeah. got to go. Okay. Yeah. Oh, perfect. Well, that's good. So, did you like touring though? Like you, you. Uh, oh yeah. Do you enjoy oh, yeah, it? No. We, we we loved it. It was like a, I I remember every moment actually. Oh, it cool! Was like it was just it was just fun. Just yeah. what what's not to love being in a being in a in a van with a bunch of your friends and a well, case of beer and yeah. you know heading to the next town to play rock to play a rock show. It was it was just a good thing to good fun thing to do when you're in your early 20s yeah it's like a giant boy scout trip for for young yeah. adults right yeah. so but then you've got some dates coming up your website says you're going to europe in may is that right yeah yeah well, this is the uh, 40th anniversary of the of the rhythm of youth album of the first album so okay the next two years actually because it was released in 82 in canada and 83 in the states so we're going to yeah. be using the next two years as a 40th anniversary Oh, very cool. So you've, yeah, you've got, it looks like six or eight dates out there. Yeah. Yeah. We've got that yeah, so good, far. We got that. Good for you. Yeah. And that, that should happen. I don't think the COVID thing, I mean, the, the COVID shutdown has kind of screwed everybody's calendar up, but, uh, we should yeah, be good. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. Well, they, they, it, it's still changing pretty, it's still yeah. pretty fluid, but we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to ask you about is, uh, did you ever do any soundtracks or songs for ads like, like TV ads or not besides you know ads taking our songs that are already done i've never okay. written anything yeah. expressly for movies or for advertising yeah. no but you don't control the publishing you you've got your your songs are published by a, a company that controls that yeah yeah so so you, they could they could sell your song and you'd still get your cut off of it obviously but uh they could they could put your song in a commercial or do something else with yeah it. well yeah they, they do it all the time they yeah do it all the okay time, yeah. well that's that's exploiting the song to to make money right and yeah yeah well, that's cool, and then and you got some new material too. Uh, I, you know, we we were in contact with your record company and stuff. So um, you've got this uh, Men Without Hats again, part one. I guess it came out yeah. in September, right? Yeah, and the part two is coming out in March. Okay. And, uh, the part one was uh, is is five cover songs. Yeah, I did listen to them. And the uh, part two is twelve original songs. So uh, yeah. So is it done? It's done. It's finished. It's oh. just waiting. It's just the covers are being printed as we speak. Yeah. Okay. Oh, perfect. So that'll be, uh, so March? About a month and a half, yeah. Oh, good. Oh, good for you. Well, that's that's great news. And then, so what possessed you to do the cover tunes? Just wanted to give you a different flavor. You did Blow It High Doe, which is one of my favorite songs from uh, from Traj. Yeah. 
well that that whole thing the whole album kind of started kind of weirdly and it kind of evolved it just had this organic role to it we uh, started off i was going to do a piano album i was going to do a solo piano voice record and do half covers and half of a sort of a reimagining of my own catalog right okay and as we sort of started recording it i it just started growing it just started mm. I, I the first one we took we we that we uh, did was uh, blow it high dough after we'd finished recording all the songs, we took Blue at High Do and I just wanted to hear, I said, I, I really want to hear what this sounds, would sound like with a huge, with a, you know, with a full treatment, with the full band treatment, instead of just piano and voice. And we, we did it up, we, we, we did it up as a full Men Without Hats song. And I thought, I thought it was great. I thought it was, ah, this, yeah. is, this sounds good, you know, yeah. let's try to do it a couple more. And so we, we started doing them and then we realized, hey, we have to do this. We just have to, we just have to do this. We can't do a piano record. We has to be sort of a, a men without hats, full on dance record. And, uh, and then I started writing new songs and going into the vault into the catalog and pulling out old stuff that we hadn't recorded. Yeah. And just, there was just, and then, you know, just everything, one thing led to another. And we ended up with 12 new songs and, and five cover songs. And, and, oh, good for and you. it was supposed to be a double album at the beginning, but then we decided to release it in two parts. So. so part one, part two. No, good for you. I'm I'm happy about that. I mean, it's it's cool to see the energy, and then and, you know you get sort of your youthful exuberance comes back, right? And you go, oh, we can do this, and we can oh, write yeah, that. Yeah, and no, <laughs> that's exactly what happened. And we, we just said, oh, we can't. This thing rocks out too much. We have yeah. to. We can't leave it as a as a as an instrumental ballad. As a but you did the ballad. You did the piano version of Safety Dance. Though I heard that we did that. Yeah, yeah. that was yeah, that was part of the reimagining of our of, a, yeah, of the cool. catalog. Yeah, we, yeah, it was. Uh, people appreciated it, so it's good. No, that's super cool. So looking back on your career and and all the things that you've done, and that is there anything you would have done differently, or how it was handled, or the producers or decisions that you made? Is there anything that you would change if you could go back and do it again? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. But. Uh, since you can't, <laughs> yeah, you got to learn to live with it, you know. Yeah, it's, uh, it's like you know. Well, there's definitely definitely things. I definitely made mistakes. I definitely made some wrong choices. I definitely recorded some songs in the wrong key. Yeah, I mean, there's all, all the way down the line. There's you know, and managers. Did you have manager problems? All you know, <laughs> manager problems. Everything. I mean, Elton John said himself. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but he said, you know, the this rock and roll thing is like a giant private club and the price of admission is you have to be ripped off really solidly about two or three times yeah so that that's I've true i've paid yeah. my dues i've paid yeah. my dues and yeah. i'm in the club well it's, it's um, the first thing that i, I ran into uh andrew luke Oldham. who's that sorry he's uh, the one of the rolling stones first managers okay and um he uh first thing he said to me was you made it you know, I, I ran into him a couple of months ago and he, that's the, you know, the first thing he said to me, you made it, which was, you know, kind of a compliment, you know, so yeah. seeing as how a lot of guys don't get to hit my age, you know, and don't get to still be able to make music and, yeah. and, and I was still at it and he was appreciating that. Yeah. Well, that's, a, it's, I, I don't know who said it, but somebody said long, many years ago that it's the, it's the suits that wreck the music business mm. because they come in and they it's called contracts, business, your commodity. This is a commodity. We don't. Um, so I, I often ask people, were you ever taken advantage of? And almost invariably it's yes. I mean, that's kind of the nature yeah, of the no, business, right? That is, that is, it's kind of, you know, it's, uh, 
it's a business. Yeah. There's no uh, business is not a. There's no nice business. Mm. You think it's that's changed business. at all in now? No. 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 It's it's all business. It's all business. There's no. Yeah. There's nobody's out there to do anybody any favors. Everybody's mm. out there to make money, and it's you know. But that's yeah been accepted well i guess i mean i i read john fogarty's book you know talking about saul's ants and and how badly he was taken advantage of and they did make some corrections there because he was signing away 100 percent of the rights to his songs i mean he yeah he had yeah. signed away songs he hadn't even written yet yeah 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 i mean you can't well i mean that's it that's it you know so at least the the the, the people that are out there starting to make music now are aware of this yeah. like a lot of people went through a lot of hellfire so that the you know people that are making music now are at least aware of this. Like people yeah. at the beginning weren't aware of it. Yeah. People like you know even Elvis. I mean Elvis you know yeah. didn't make nearly as much as he should have when he was making money. You know so yeah, fair enough. And then like to your point about Elton John, like once you get down that road, then you can start dictating the way things are going to go. Like the Billy Joels and the Elton Johns, but they're in their own universe at that point because at that point, yeah, yeah. But that's it. That's that's the people who get to make. You know, there's not that many people get get to that level. Yes, I mean, that's like like a lot of a lot of them get stopped along the way. Yeah. So now you can have more of a working relationship. Like you have a, a new record company and, and doing your thing and you can have more of a working relationship and a sort of an even Steven kind of a thing, right? Where you're both um, treated fairly and properly. Yeah. Well, the, the sort of the goals are different now anyway. Like I said, you know, there's yeah. no pressure, like the, the pressure of, you know, of chart topping and record, you know, so that's, that's gone. Yeah. There's no and so it makes it a lot more enjoyable for me now. It makes yeah. it, there's no there's not there's no pressure now. I don't have to be out there. I don't have to. I'm not out there to pay the rent. I'm out there because I'm I'm having fun and yeah. enjoying myself and procuring pleasure for other people. Yeah. And uh, whereas that wasn't the case back then. I mean, back then I was out there. It was a whole different ball game back then. It was just the it was the you know a lot of pressure and a lot of. Yeah. A, lot, a lot of things at stake and a lot of you know, my, my career was at stake back then, which it isn't now. Yeah, fair enough. And, and you know, you've earned it. So that's kind of like when you, when you, you work and you get your, not retirement, but you get your later years, let's say, where yeah. you can, you can yeah. enjoy it and you earned it and you get to enjoy it. So I'm, yeah. I'm happy for you. I'm a, I'm oh, a, thanks. a thanks fan so. personally and professionally. So I'm happy for you in all those respects. So what's cool. your, what's your bucket list? You're still active. What, what, what's left for you to do? Oh, I I still haven't done a show in Israel. That's what I'd love oh. to do. <laughs> oh, cool. Well, that'd be nice. Yeah. Yeah, I'd like to. Have Can you set that, that up? I'm. We've been trying. We've been yeah. trying for for a couple of years now. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. It's getting close. Getting close. Well, very cool. Well, good. Well, I really want to thank you for taking the time to talk to me, and I hope that we talked about some interesting things and uh, maybe a little bit different than what you normally get asked. But yeah, uh, no, it was great. It was great. Yeah. Very cool. Many thanks to my guest, Ivan Doroschuk, for being part of the Liner Notes podcast and sharing some insights from his decades in the Canadian music scene. More information is available at safetydance.com. Excellent website. There's lots of stuff going on there, and there's some social media links as well. So we hope you enjoyed the podcast and invite you to subscribe to it and share it on social media so others can enjoy it as well. We'll also invite you to listen to Dusty Discs Radio uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays to hear music from the Canadian artists you're hearing on this show. So until next time, I'm Dan Hare. 